There's some language in this episode that some listeners may find offensive. Okay, we're rolling. (laughs) You're listening to to WCAR. The War on Cars Morning Zoo with Doug Gordon, Sarah Goodyear. Traffic on the Prospect Park West bike lane, totally fine. (laughs) Okay, guys, this week I want to start the show with a clip. This is the late Rob Ford speaking in front of Toronto City Council May 25th, 2009. You know, here we go. Listen to this. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Um, oh, yeah. I'm going to be a straight shooter, as I always am. When I drive downtown every day... As a mayor does. Or at least three or four times a week to come to City Hall, there's no secret. <laughs> okay? The cyclists are a pain in the ass to the motorists. Like, let's, let's be quite frank. Councillor, I remind you of the need to okay, use parliamentary... But hold on. Okay, I'll re- I'll, I'll re- I will I will retract the, the, the word ass. He's so great. But the exact same argument I get from the cyclists that say to me, and as soon as I get the emails, the first thing they say is, you're a fat slob, they go after my big belly, and I say, okay, I can understand that, fine. But what's the solution, okay? Because the cyclists say, I hate you motorists, I can't stand you guys, and they flip you the bird as you're going down Queen Street or Dundas Street. There's this huge animosity between the motorists and the cyclists. There's this huge animosity, and it's never going to go away, <laughs> Madam Speaker. Did you go hear that? Yeah, I love that. It's because about you. It's yeah. about you. It's not because you're in a car. It's because you're, you're the <laughs> it's ass. because right? you're Rob yeah, Ford. Yeah, because you're Rob Ford. you yeah. the bird. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Ford. Yeah. Okay, just, just want to play a little bit more Rob Ford. Just fast forward a bit. Is, there's no secret about it. There, there's, a, there's a war on cars in the city. It's obvious as the days are long. Is, there's no secret about it. There, there's, a, there's a war on cars in the city. There's a, there's a war on cars in the city. Okay, all right, all right, enough Rob Ford. Welcome to episode four of The War on Cars, a podcast that provides a safe, healthy outlet for your blinding rage toward the cars and drivers that are ruining your city. I am Aaron Napperstack, and I'm here for you with my totally nonviolent and emotionally available co-hosts, Sarah Goodyear and Doug Gordon. Hello, everybody. Uh, I, I don't know if we should let Aaron do the intro. That was good. I, did you just come for your therapist this morning? I, that was really good. You know, good. I, just, I just want to emphasize that we're really not, you know, violently waging war on cars. Not, it's a metaphor. Not, not, not it's a metaphor. That's, it's a rhetorical yeah. war on cars. We're, we're not yeah. attacking motorists, as Rob Ford accused us. No. Yeah. No, we're not flipping anybody the bird. So that, that opener was... Um, it's kind of a classic, and I and I wanted to play it because to me it's sort of the um, Archduke Franz Ferdinand moment of the war on cars. Yeah, and of course the Archduke was the you know his assassination triggered the start of World War One, mm-hmm. and that audio clip when Rob Ford stood up um, during the Jarvis Street bike lane debate in Toronto in the sort of far flung corner of the North American urban empire and did his war on cars speech. That just started this entire meme of the war on cars. And we saw pretty quickly after the spring of 2009, this whole notion, this idea of a war on cars just kind of popping up in the uh, progressive urban transportation policy debate in cities all over the place. Um, Seattle, Calgary, New York, LA, you know, wherever you were, it was all of a sudden, anytime that, you know, you tried to install a bike lane or put in a new bike rack that replaced a car parking spot, 
it was a war on cars. Yeah, so that's where we're going with this. We're going to look into the origins of not just the phrase, the war on cars, but also the concept of the war on cars and how that fits into the, the culture wars that we're living through right now. It's probably pretty interesting that you see that language, the war on X used for everything. Right now, we're experiencing what people on the right call a war on men because mm-hmm. men should be held accountable for you know, sexually assaulting people. Suddenly, it's a war on men. So really, what we're talking about, too, is privilege. Like Who is on top? And yeah. how has that flipped and changed over the years? Right. And when you try to sort of change the status quo, even in a tiny way, taking away one parking spot from a private car and replacing it with a bike rack in front of your child's school, as Doug recently did. I'm still yeah. hearing about it every day in the playground. Because yeah. yeah. you're waging war on cars. It's, it's an a attack on, on motorists right. in this city, as Rob Ford told us in 2009. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyways, but before we get to that, before we get to this issue of, of the war on cars and how it fits into um, the broader uh, cultural divide, we need to make a pitch for our Patreon. Yeah. We need money to keep producing this podcast. And we want to thank, we, we've had dozens of people already just within the first few episodes of this podcast support us on patreon we really want to make a big thanks to the law office of vicaro and white they've become our top sponsor so we really thank them they're here in new york for sponsoring us you too can sponsor us go to the waroncars.org click on the donate button that will take you to our patreon page we have stickers We have t-shirts, we're getting more goodies coming your way, so there's lots of great stuff. And thanks again to everybody who has donated, including the law office of Vicaro and White. Yeah, we're really really grateful to all of you. It it lets us know that you care about what we're doing, and it also helps to pay the bills. And when you get those stickers next month, we want to see, you know, the car bumpers that you've put them on, the street signs that you've put them on. Please send us pictures. You can tweet us at The War on Cars, and we'll retweet those. Okay, so here we are. Cars uh, have become this flashpoint in the broader culture war. And the stuff that we work on or have been working on or writing about for a bunch of years now, so bike lanes, better bus service, just improving urban transportation by reducing auto dependence. This has also become a major flashpoint in the broader culture war and in the, the whole sort of pol- you know increasingly partisan political divide. So how how did we get here? What's what's this about? Well, what's interesting about Rob Ford and and the way that he was out front on this, he actually also was kind of a preview of the man who's the president of the United States today. And when you hear him at the top saying, "Oh, I'm a straight shooter. I'm just yeah. I always talk," you know, he, he was very much. You know, I'm an honest guy. You know, I'm just a flawed human being. I'm just like everybody else. And so he really, I think, was sort of a proto-Trump uh, in his in his way. And, and that's what makes it interesting that he also uh, previewed this part of the culture wars. Even if you listen to that clip that we played, the way that he says the word ass and then is chided for it and say, please use parliamentary language. And he says, okay, okay, I'll retract the word ass. You hear that in Trump's speeches where he'll say something like, I'm not saying that Democrats are Venezuelan socialists hell-bent on bankrupting the country. I would never (laughs) say such a thing like that. I'd get in a lot of trouble if I said something like that. Uh, It's exactly the same kind of rhetoric. And and it's worth noting that the mayor at the time of this speech was a guy named David Miller, who is a super progressive 
excellent on transportation policy guy who really kind of, but he sort of represented the downtown Toronto regions. And shortly after this speech, um, you know, where, where Rob Ford started running to, to stop the war on cars, it was a major part of his platform. He went on to become mayor to replace David yeah. Miller. So there really was a kind of Obama to Trump analog there in that Toronto mayor's race. Yeah, and also that he really emphasized the divide between the downtown urban mm -hmm. people and the suburban people. He actually even said at one point, well, if I lived downtown, I'd be all for bike lanes too, but I don't. That divide between the sort of urban elite and the suburban, you know, regular guy, that was his thing. One of the things I've always thought about about that, and it's, it's different now that the seal has been ripped off of the racism bottle in our country and people are just saying this stuff outright, is that for a long time you'd see tabloid newspapers exploiting the bike lash, the, the war on cars for clicks and for big headlines. And it was, you know, angry residents shouting at each other because there was this brief period where we had come out of especially here in New York, the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, some of the more racially divisive parts of our history. And it was no longer acceptable to exploit that stuff for eyeballs, basically, for newspaper sales and clicks. And so this became a proxy for all of that. It was a really safe way to sow division and, and, and exploit conflict. Now, of course, you can just come out and say whatever the hell you want, and right. you know it's awful. But I did notice that, and and I, it did feel like you're saying that Rob Ford was doing that—that that this was a stand-in for those, you know, elite, effete downtown totally. liberals are taking away your privilege, and we're going to get our city back. You did hear a lot of that stuff, like these are our streets, we need to take back our streets, which is, you know, it's it's make America great again, just in a different phrase. And I think there, there's an interesting element to all this, where in a way. That I think we don't we don't acknowledge enough that in a certain way the the car is actually a kind of a oh man this is like so divisive but like the, it's kind of a red state incursion on the city inherently in in the way that if you consider oh fuck that's not the best way to say this I think what you're trying to say is that the car is an emblem of a kind of personal freedom quote unquote that is also seen in the house with the picket fence yeah. and the suburban lifestyle in which everybody has their family and protects their family and stands their ground and a man's house is his castle and, and all of that mythology that North America is still in love with and that cities are the thing that's seen as against that because that's where everybody mixes and that's where right. all the immigrants are and that's where you know, you don't have the freedom to kind of protect your family against the invaders or whatever. And I think that the that Rob Ford really understood that psychology, and that's still really, really prevalent in North America in general. And it, and it's perhaps not a not a coincidence that not long after Rob Ford made this speech, and the the idea of the war on cars started bouncing around to Seattle and other U.S. cities conservative media started picking up on this idea of the war on cars. So you, you saw, you know, Wendell Cox, the kind of uh, libertarian urban planner thinker guy, you know, starting to criticize transportation secretary Ray LaHood, you know, as waging a war on cars and suburbs. And, and um, the Wall Street Journal started running, you know, war on cars editorials and the Heritage Foundation started doing it. And actually this amazing video popped up 
which has like almost a million views on YouTube uh, from what's called PragerU, Prager University. It's actually just a YouTube channel. Yeah, but and it's, founded by a talk radio host and funded by fracking money. The video is called War on Cars, and one of our missions in life is to, is to you know, knock it off of Google. So you guys can help us with that. Yeah, well, that's why we need your subscriptions on iTunes and your ratings so we can get a higher Google ranking. Yeah, so we can yeah, knock this one off. Yeah, the Dennis Prager. But why don't we play a section of that? Because it's actually a kind of amazing crystallization of of car culture and this sense that you know, when you try to reduce car use in cities, you're you're somehow attacking not just not just cars, but like American freedom itself. We may be witnessing the death of America's car culture, and it's not dying of old age. People are still buying lots of cars. But there's been a concerted push by government bureaucrats and environmentalists to transform car ownership from a source of pride to a source of guilt. Ever since Henry Ford built the Model T, cars have been central to the American experience. That's because cars are more than just another way to get from point A to point B. They allow us to go wherever we want, whenever we want, with whomever we want. Mm -hmm. Think about it. With trains, planes, and buses, the routes are planned, and the schedule is timed. Only cars allow you to be spontaneous. When you get behind the wheel, you are in control. You are free. You are in control. You are free. You can go wherever you that want. That is some yeah. Orwellian in traffic. messed up language right there. Yeah, only in a car can you be spontaneous. The thing that I don't feel when I'm in a car is spontaneous. What you're supposed to, oh, woo, I just want to turn left suddenly. I mean. Oh, look, there's a great <laughs> coffee shop over no parking. I can't stop by. Okay, bye. Yeah. Yeah. There's a hydrant. I think I'll go park in front yeah, of it. Yeah, also but, like this thing that requires 1,000% of your concentration, or you might kill somebody, or at least scratch and damage your car, is the exact opposite of spontaneity. And also, let's not forget about the car payment that you are making every month, and the insurance that you are paying every month, and the amount of debt that is taken on by people who have to own one or more cars because of the way the society is set up well, is really, that's crushing. And all of that is almost nothing compared to the amount of public money that we pay for the infrastructure that the cars run on, which somehow, that and that's the thing I never quite get about the libertarian conservative argument where it's like, you know, the government just wants to regulate you in your car as you drive on billions of dollars of government-funded yeah, I mean, I think roads everybody's and infrastructure. A so, everybody is a socialist for cars, right? Yeah, the most right-wing, right-leaning people who would decry socialism in any form, including Medicaid and Medicare, Social Security even, absolutely are socialists for cars. Yeah, but, but see, the thing is that, that when she's making this argument and when people make this argument, we all know what the subtext is, is that you don't have to get into a train with those people. With strangers, right. with the with other. Not, not just strangers. It's definitely coded language for oh, people yeah. of other races, people of other income levels, people that, you know, are the other. Yeah, because it's not really about uh, traveling where you want with whom you want. Yeah, she it is says about, she really hits that. It is about where you want without whom you yeah. want, mm. if that's grammar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it really is about, because of course I can travel with my family and I can be home with my family, but if I don't want to be around brown people, if I don't want to be around poor people, then I can get in my car on a yeah. subway, on a bus. Like you have to mix up with everybody. Yeah. But then what's weird is that, you know, in our cities currently, we still are doing so much to invite cars in. 
You know, like all almost every North American city currently has policy set up that really is oriented toward making it really accommodating and comfortable for cars, even even as much as we're waging our war on cars with our our puny bike lanes and, you know, bike share systems. And I I was curious, like how far back that goes, you know, Mm. this notion of people feeling like there's a war on cars in our city. So I got in touch with uh, University of Virginia history professor Peter Norton, who, as you guys well know, he's the author of this amazing book called Fighting Traffic. The yeah, Dawn- everybody should check it out. We'll put yeah. a link to where you can get it in the show notes. Yeah, it's so good. It's got the dawn of the motor age in the American city. And he really recounts like what the reaction was to the car when it first started appearing in American cities about 100 years ago. And so, uh, you know, Peter, of course, came back with this incredible tidbit when I asked, I was like, Peter, like, wh- where does this idea of the war on cars Because he knows everything. He yeah. just knows everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first he points out that car, the word car, meaning an automobile or an automobile plus a driver, came along rather late in the 20th century. So before there was a war on cars, there was a war on autoists, Mm -hmm. you know? And so if you look for that, if you do a search for a war on autoists, you can actually find a lot going way back. And so Peter sent along this article from the Indianapolis News for June 10th, 1907, and the headline is, Residents along National Road open war on autoists. All right, so in Indianapolis, 1907, the war on autoists has begun. You know, shots have been fired. Yeah, but they didn't mean it in that case in a sort of defensive, wow, we're being persecuted. They literally meant pedestrians and people who defined cities were seeing this invasion of cars, right? They're saying Well, they're talking about small, it's actually... right. It's it's towns, small towns. I mean, that's what's interesting yeah. here is that it says, you know, towns in the southern part of this county are up in arms against the owners of automobiles, which speed along the national road located along the national highway in the southern part of the county or a number of small towns and auto owners seem to delight in showing the citizens how fast they can drive. So this is this is the complete flip on the current war on cars. Basically, people were just really upset that you know, all of a sudden, this, these new, fangled, very powerful, poorly operated machines were being slammed through their towns and villages and cities. Um, the, the article goes on, you know, the town of, it's the town of Louisville is upset that the, and they say the laws shall be obeyed. And when a machine goes through the town at a breakneck speed, its number is noted and it is stopped farther along and charges filed against the owner. In the majority of cases, the persons guilty of violations are aristocratic citizens of the large cities. <laughs> so it's not just... It's the reverse. It's the yeah. total opposite. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's what cars were for. They were basically, you lived in a big city, you walked everywhere, you took trolleys everywhere. And if you wanted to get out to the country you took a car. Mm. Now we see it in the exact opposite way. It's suburbanites living in the country, so to speak, who want to come in to, for their entertainment, to take in a Broadway show, to go to dinner. It's the complete opposite. Right. Yeah, but what was accepted at, in 1907 was that the idea that the cars were scary, were dangerous, were you know infringing on humanity. And that is what we have lost. And now it's when people feel infringed upon when when people like us say, I don't want to f- 
be in fear of my life because of the way people are driving cars around. And in, in this city, people get killed on the sidewalk regularly. Drivers lose control and just slam into people on the sidewalk. When we protest that, we're told we're waging a war on cars. We're the ones who are trying to limit personal freedom and spontaneity. My right to spontaneously walk down the sidewalk without worrying about being killed is elitist or or somehow anti-American in the view of right. people like that. But so why didn't we call our podcast The War on Cities? Because in a way, right, that's what we're talking about, like cars are sort of waging a war on cities. And that's kind of how they looked at it 100 years ago, too. Because we wanted to take back this idea of the war on cars and say, the war on cars is a righteous war. It's not something to be ashamed of. We're going to film a video of Sarah saying that like, <laughs> yeah. in, some, in some cave I with a lot of guns Sarah behind her. Yeah. I thought you were very uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. with the war rhetoric. I, I do feel somewhat uncomfortable with the war rhetoric. I'm basically a pacifist. And I so it's it I sometimes when you guys get going I'm like and then we're all gonna be generals and sergeants and soldiers and and I'm like, Oh, I don't like that and I and some I, but, of our listeners have objected to look, to the military imagery. I mean, are we so now that cars and bikes are, are, are and transit or whatever, now that this is all part of the, you know, partisan republican democrat red blue divide i mean that actually i don't know that that's a very productive place for it to be it doesn't seem like problems are getting solved in that framework right now in this country right like i mean i don't know if there's anything we can do about that but i I don't know i mean i'm feeling kind of fatalistic about that right now i mean the truth is that i think that we're at a point in our society where we have to decide where we stand. We have to stand for what we believe in more than ever. We have to not shrink from taking really strong positions on things of moral import. Yeah, I always have this problem. I like the war on cars language because it gives me the opportunity when someone says you're waging a war on cars to look at them and say, I want you to explain why there shouldn't be a war on cars. Mm. Because we have... 200 people in New York City dying every year, being killed by cars. Many of them- 44,000 a year in the country. 40,000 people. So I want that person to say, okay, you think there's a war on cars? I want you to explain why there shouldn't be. Um, so, And I think a lot of time we as liberals, as progressives, tend to cede a lot of territory when we have these arguments, like the Second Amendment, gun rights, or one of those. We always say, look, we understand that people need guns, or I'm not against the Second Amendment. It's like, no, you know what? Just say- there are too many fucking guns in this country and we need to do something about that. Don't start on the other guy's territory. And I think with cars, and excuse me for swearing, I don't normally do that and I know we might bleep that out, <laughs> but I think with cars we need to stop with this like, look, I, I understand that cars are good for some people and some people, you, no. Right. We have too many cars. Using a car should be the exception not the rule. At least and in the city, right? And we're talking in, the city. in cities Absolutely. I, look, in the suburbs. If you're up in Vermont or whatever, yeah, you have feel to. free. I, Use your I car. I drive a car to get to see my relatives who live in places that are not accessible by transit or by bike. Absolutely. Like, our society is built this way. We can't blame people for using things within the framework of the society in which they live. But here in the city where you have other options... Yeah, we should look at those people and say, you know, I actually think you're making not a great choice, given what we know about the dangers of cars. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to say there should be a war on cars. And, and I'm kind of there, too, now. I mean, I, I feel like I want people to start seeing the car as 
people in cities. I want people in cities to start seeing the car as a kind of red state, suburban, rural incursion on your territory, on your mm. on your ground. On your freedom. Uh, and on your freedom. Like freedom yeah. for us in a city is to be able to walk down the avenue and be like, you know what? Mm, this is kind of a long walk. I'm just going to hop on a on a inexpensive, reliable bus that's going to be here. And oh, look, two minutes. And I'm just yeah. going to hop on that and take the rest of this trip on that bus. That to me is freedom yeah. in a city. Inexpensive, reliable, uh, you know, decent, clean transit, you know, that yeah. I, that I know is there or, or like a good safe bike lane that like my, my 11 year old kid could, could ride into school and not, and not have me, you know, schlep him back and forth, you know, in my car. You're That's talking not about like freedom. a real, like Roosevelt for freedoms sort of freedom and not this conservative individualistic bullshit of freedom, which is I have the freedom to buy a very expensive car. And like Sarah said, pay hundreds of dollars to a bank every month. You're talking about freedom from fear, freedom yeah. to walk around your city and not wonder, will I get crushed if I step out? Into and also the having street? choices and, like, having and freedom choices. of choice. Like yes. I have an option. Oh, I could walk this ride. Oh, I could bike it. Oh, I could use transit. You know, in a city that's, that's freedom. And I want, I want people to start seeing the car as a genuine incursion. Like, yeah, and it, it, it not it, it just incurs on your space. It also pollutes the air. It also is incredibly loud. You cannot get away from it. And there is no freedom to even be anywhere without cars roaring and spewing everywhere around you. It's, it's, it's oppressive. It does get to this question of, you know, what is it going to take to, you know, I, I mean, in a way it's like, you've got to convince people in cities to actually give up their cars. You know, what, what would it take to get somebody to be like, you know what, I, I can give this up. It would be better if I get, I wouldn't, I would enjoy my life more without this. So this we've albatross. talked about, we've talked about getting people on and talking to them about quit your car, quit right? your car. And, and I think that if anyone out there listening who has a car, who might be willing to talk with us about quitting that car and living a different life, a life of spontaneity and freedom. Email us. Email us and we, we might have you on and talk to you about that and, and kind of challenge some of your assumptions about why you need that car. Yeah. Email us at uh, thewaroncars at gmail.com. Any questions or comments? And, and if you want to be a participant in our you know upcoming feature, quit, quit your car. Mm -hmm. um, we want you. So Yeah. yeah. And we also want to hear episode suggestions, guest suggestions. So please send all feedback our way. So we've been talking about the war on cars, the the phrase, the where where this whole idea comes from. Let's just let's just go back real quick and remind ourselves what we're up against. Here's, here's that PragerU uh, video again. Americans are explorers. We value our independence, and we've never been good at staying put or being told where to go and at what time. Maybe that's why, despite the government's best laid plans, sales of trucks and SUVs are breaking records as low gasoline prices inspire people to drive more and buy bigger vehicles. Why shouldn't they? Personal car ownership is part of America's fabric. It brings people together and makes this big country of ours seem a little smaller and more free. We could easily sit here for an hour, point by point by point, and go through everything she said and 
say, well, that's not correct. And that's it, not what it's, it's about. It's, it's, it's about, about emotion. It's it is about, about emotion. emotion. And so I think yeah. part of what we have to do in the war on cars is just um, you can't convince the other side necessarily. You just have to activate the people who are already inclined, but perhaps not that active to come out and say, yeah, actually, this could be a, a great thing if we change this. Am I going to convince a local Rob Ford to stop driving? Absolutely not. Yeah. But I might convince that person who's on the fence who think, gosh, you know, my car payments are really kind of burning a big hole in my also, budget every year. Like, yeah, I, I should probably switch. And I mean, conv- I don't even know that convincing is part of this at all. I think I think cities just have to do things. And the way to convince people in a lot of cases is to just build the infrastructure that a city should have. So, you know, make a local bus run better, make it so that 20% of school kids around one middle school can all bike to school safely. Just build that infrastructure, let people see it. And generally, I think what, what cities have found is that when they do these things, people really, really like having good transportation. They like not being car dependent and this stuff is popular and, and yeah. politicians benefit. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is that we're just swimming in it, right? You look around and cars are everywhere. So we just assume that that is the dominant mode and that's the way it's always going to be. When we were all born, cars were everywhere right now. Cars are everywhere. It just yeah. seems like it's, that's what it is. And if you change the status quo and more people are born into a different status quo, you know, my kids will never know a New York city that didn't have bicycle share. It is as natural to them as the subway or the bus stop at the end of our block. So eventually you'll have a critical mass of people who never knew any differently. That's it for episode four of The War on Cars. Uh, Check back soon for episode five. We're gonna be talking e-bikes with Helen Ho of the Biking Public Project, and that should be really good. Check our website, thewaroncars.org. If you're enjoying the show, you can review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Um, Please donate a few dollars on Patreon find that on our website too by the way we got to give another big thanks to the law office of vaccaro and white for being our top patreon sponsor but you too can pitch in get some stickers we've got some good t-shirts coming with an awesome design on them sarah do you want to yeah give a shout um, out? our uh, our logo and our t-shirts are designed by danny finkel of crucial d she's awesome thank you This episode was recorded by Peter Carl. Music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our producer is Curtis Fox. I am Aaron Napperstack with Doug Gordon and Sarah Goodyear. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. And we are The War on Cars. Curtis, should I, is there a way to, it would be hard to fix the part where I sound really stupid, where I'm like, Um, It would be hard, but let's try. (laughs) That's our, that's our Easter egg. (laughs) 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 You mean the whole podcast? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much most of my day.